chapter 4, and uh, this is actually uh, the last in our Abiding in Christ lessons. And uh, we're talking about abiding in sharing the message of Christ. And we're looking at John chapter 4, verses 1 through 29. And our study this evening is going to challenge the abiding Christian to accept God's great commission in sharing the message of Christ and equips us with principles and scriptures that can be used in our witnessing. One of the foundational reasons for becoming like Christ is that we can share the message effectively with the lost and dying world. Uh, God is looking for people who are conforming to his image and growing in grace. Uh, yes, we're not perfect, but we're growing more like him, uh, sharing the gospel message with the lost. Second Timothy 1.9 says, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. There was a young salesman who was disappointed about, about losing a big sale, and he was talking to his sales manager, and he lamented, I guess it proves that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, the manager replied, listen, take my advice. Your job is not to make him to drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. Uh, and as Christians, our responsibility, our job is uh, to expose the thirst of living water of Christ uh, that uh, perhaps exists already in a lost heart. Uh, we can't save anyone, but we can bring them to the point where they uh, uh, realize their need. And our lives should be so filled with Christ that we literally create a thirst for the love of God in the lives of unbelievers. Many years ago, there was a, uh, in St. Louis, there was a lawyer visited a Christian to transact some business. And before the two men parted, the client said, I often wanted to ask you a question, but I've been afraid to do so. Well, what is it you want to know? asked the lawyer. The man replied, I've wondered why you're not a Christian. Well, the man hung his head and he said, I know enough about the Bible to realize that it says no drunkard can enter the kingdom of God, and you know my weakness. Uh, you're avoiding the question, continued the believer. Well, truthfully, I can't recall anyone ever explaining how to become a Christian. Well, picking up a Bible, the client read some passages showing that all are under condemnation, but that Christ came to save the lost by dying on the cross for their sins. And by receiving him as your substitute and savior, you can be forgiven. And if you're willing to receive Jesus, the lawyer agreed and they prayed together and the lawyer prayed, Oh Jesus, I'm a slave to drink. One of your servants has shown me how to be saved. Oh God, forgive my sins and help me overcome the power of this terrible habit in my life. Well, the lawyer was converted right at that moment. The lawyer's name was C.I. Schofield. He later edited the reference Bible that bears his name, and perhaps you have a Schofield Bible uh, that you use. 
uh, many times. I think I have some in my, uh, one or two in my library. But there's much relativism and spiritual confusion in our world today. And the message has not changed since the first century. Uh, the Apostle Paul distinctly mentions the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And sometimes we refer to this as the gospel in a nutshell. It's verses 1 through 4 of 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. And here, then he gives uh, the gospel. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Uh, Jesus had a purpose in coming to this earth. That purpose was to die for our sins and then be raised up for our justification. And as we conform our lives into his image, he asks us to join him in fulfilling his purpose by sharing the message of the gospel. Uh, Jesus spoke these words to his disciples in John 20, 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So as we're becoming more like Christ, it would only seem natural, or may I say spiritual, that we would share his message regularly to help others to know Jesus as their personal Savior. So first of all, Christ's purpose in coming to the earth. In Luke 19 and verse 10, we read, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came uh, to bring salvation to those who are lost and without him. Uh, you know, it's always a joy to read how the Lord personally gave the gospel to others. Here in John chapter 4, in verses 1 through 5, we notice how the Lord shared eternal truth with a woman who was in great need. John chapter 4, verse 1 says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus came and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Here we have the account of how the Lord shared eternal truth with a woman in need. I want you to know, first of all, notice first of all that all that Christ's purpose is in coming to the earth. He took a necessary way. He said, I must needs go through Samaria. In other words, he felt compelled to go this particular route, and Jesus was following the leadership of his heavenly Father and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Psalm 37, verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And I believe even the Lord Jesus, his steps were ordered by the Lord. If a good man's steps are ordered by the Lord, how much more the steps of Jesus Christ? His purpose of reaching lost people took him to a necessary place where there was a spiritual need. I don't know about you, but have you ever felt... Uh, 
necessary or moved by the Spirit to go a particular direction or go to a particular place and even speak to someone about Jesus Christ? You ever felt that inner compulsion to tell someone else, maybe a coworker, a friend, or a relative, about salvation? That's what Jesus experienced on this particular day. Jesus left the area where his disciples were baptizing. He would also possibly leave a, a division that was developing with the Pharisees because of his popularity. And again, we notice here in verses 1 through 3, he went to the well of Sychar, a divine appointment arranged by the Heavenly Father. And when you're living your life according to the purpose of Christ, there's no such thing as an accident. He wants us to be witnesses of him through the normal, everyday circumstances of our lives. And he will often lead us into divine appointments to represent him to others. And then on this day, Jesus' divine appointment took him to a needy woman. In verse 7, down in verse 7, it says, Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. You know, uh, if you can imagine this scene here where Jesus says there to the woman, Give me to drink. Now, it's very clear at this point that this woman had not put her faith in Christ. Um, And as you read the account, uh, we understand she had a terrible marital situation, an extramarital situation. She did not live her life with high morals. And more than likely, she had been the subject of gossip and ridicule. And yet, it says there in verse 7, Give me to drink. The creator of the universe is asking this needy woman, this unsaved woman, for a drink of water. Why? So that he could offer her something even greater. That was living water. Jesus came to offer the forgiveness of sin. He came to quench the thirst of a lost world. Matthew 9.12 says, But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a position, but they that are sick. And so Christ's coming, our purpose in coming to the earth, uh, was uh, took him a necessary way and took him to a needy woman. Secondly, Christ's promise uh, for those who receive his gift. Now we read there in verse 10, If thou knewest the gift of God, who is that? saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked him, and he would have given thee water, living water. Uh, God has a, a special purpose uh, and a special promise to those who receive this gift. The scriptures call this gift living water, an eternal well of water springing up for in those who believe. Romans 6.23 mentions the gift. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is paid in full by Jesus Christ, offered to each one of us as a free gift. Of course, we know Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Now, if we have anything to do with eternal life, it's not a gift. Let me suppose that uh, uh, a young person decided to do something nice for their pastor. And uh, they would bring uh, their pastor an ice-cold glass of water. Now, that would be nice of them, wouldn't it? It would be a gift of kindness on their part. Now, if I told one of these, uh, one of our young people, that I would give him a dollar if he would do that, go get me a glass of water, there's no doubt that they'd be willing to do that, too. But wait a minute. I would tell them, you can have a dollar if. And then the glass of water on my part and the dollar on their part stops being a gift. A glass of water is not a gift anymore. You see, if we follow sacraments or baptism or do anything that we think we need to do to obtain salvation, it's not a gift. When it, becomes, when it comes to salvation, we need to be careful that we don't muddy the waters with re religious tradition. We've got to come back to the Bible. God's gift is not reserved for just a select few. It's freely given to a world that's living in sinful conditions. So I'll notice some of the conditions, some of those sinful conditions. First, there's to a world of indignation. A world of indignation. In Romans chapter 1, it says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to, of salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then also here in John chapter 4, it gives the, an account of indignation that was taking place during the time of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you look at verse 9, as Jesus was talking with this Samaritan woman, she said, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which is a woman of, uh, which as a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. There's racial tension. It was taking place between the Samaritans and the Jews. And most Jews would have never stopped to even talk to this lady. The fact that Jesus did shows us his amazing impartial love for all. His gift of salvation is available to all. So it's to a world of indignation. Secondly, it's a, to a world of iniquity. If you go on in Romans chapter 1, Verse 17, it says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now this Samaritan woman had been going downhill morally for a long time. Fornication, adultery was the essence of her life. If we look here in John chapter 4 and down in verse 16, it says, Then Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, 
and he whom it thou now hast is not thy husband, in that uh, that saidest thou truly. Now, as long as this woman was trying to hide behind a cloak of religiousness or, or self-righteousness, she was not going to be saved. And so Jesus met her where she was as a sinner, but he could not help her until she admitted her need for salvation. And that's what Jesus brought her to face-to-face with in verses 14 and 15. Let's go back there. For whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. I read the testimony of a pastor and his wife as they were visiting a family that was attending their church The husband desired to serve the Lord, but the wife was not a Christian. She had never placed her faith in Christ. And as they sat on the couch there in the living room, uh, they made some small talk for a while, and then the pastor asked the wife this question. If you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? As she lit a cigarette, she said, I don't think anyone can know the answer to that question. And then began to, she began to argue and talk roughly about her past and the hypocrisy that she had seen in Christians. Well, they soon realized that sitting before them was a woman who had been deeply wounded. And after she mentioned a recent abortion, she began to weep and cry. They told me it wouldn't matter, she said. She told them about some other experiences in her life, the parties, the drugs, the immorality. And finally, the pastor said, you don't need to tell me these things. No matter where you've been or what you've done, we're here to tell you that Jesus still loves you. He wants to forgive your sin. And she took, looked at him in disbelief and continued talking. Now, she did not accept Christ as her Savior, and the pastor and his wife left feeling as if they had not done everything as uh, right, but they began to pray for her. And two weeks later, during an invitation, the lady walked down the aisle, and the pastor's wife had the privilege of leading her to Christ. You know, sometimes the devil will make people who live in immorality or wickedness feel like there's no hope. There's no way that Jesus would want them. But aren't you glad? that Jesus Christ died for all of us, no matter who we are, what our background. He died for everyone, black or white, rich or poor, good and bad. And Jesus offers forgiveness to all, not just a select few. So he t- it talks here about a world of indignation, a world of iniquity, and then to a world in idolatry. After the Samaritan woman was faced with the fact that she needed living water, she began to argue. You see it in verse 20. She said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. You see, she really didn't have an understanding of the truth. Her people had lived in idolatry. They had built a rival temple at Gerasim uh, because the Jews had rejected them during the days of Ezra. And so this woman was basically saying, I have a church, 
I have a denomination. I have a belief system. What's wrong with that? Well, she knew a few religious arguments, but she did not know the Savior. So we've seen here that Christ had a purpose in coming to this earth, but he also had a promise for those who received his gift. Thirdly, we notice that Christ's power to provide salvation. He not only came with a promise, he came with the power to back up the promise. And his power is seen in his attributes. Continue on in verse 23 where it says, But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In verse 23, Jesus is foretelling the time when the place of worship won't be that important because the person of worship will have preeminence. And that's why he says in verse 24 that mankind will be able to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now earlier, we looked at verse 16 and 17, and uh, we're actually... uh, we. I should say, we didn't look at it, but there are similar verses. I, uh, it's in chapter 14, not chapter 4, but chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. In chapter 14, he said, I pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but he, ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. You know, once the Lord saves us, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within our hearts. He is the one who gives us the power to share the message of Christ boldly. So it's seen in his attributes, but his power is also seen in his announcement. Go back to chapter 4 now in verse 25. said, The woman saith unto him, I know the Messiah coming cometh, which is called Christ, and when he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Now, the words Christ and Messiah are really synonymous. They mean the anointed one. And verse 26, Jesus is accepting, he's claiming the term Messiah. And so in these verses, Jesus not only promises salvation, but he claims he has the power to provide it. He has the power to change us and to use us for his glory as we shine as lights for him in this lost world. There's a missionary doctor that was speaking to a medical college in India. He was speaking on Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And then he had placed an oil lamp in front of the lectern, and a cotton wick was burning from a shallow dish of oil. And he preached, and the lamp's oil ran out, and the wick burned dry, and the smoke made him cough. He immediately used this opportunity to say, Some of us here are like this wick. We're trying to shine for the glory of God, but we stink. That's what happens when we use ourselves as the fuel for our witness rather than the Holy Spirit. Wicks can last indefinitely. 
burning brightly and without irritating smoke, if the fuel is there. And your wick can shine brightly without irritating smoke if the fuel, the Holy Spirit, is there to give a constant supply. Now the woman at the well realized that she was in the presence of the Messiah, and after her salvation, she immediately began to witness for him. Look down at verse 28. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Now, if we really understand the promise of the Messiah, we would be more apt to leave our water pots. What am I talking about? Water pots. We don't use water pots anymore, no, but our water pots may be hobbies, occupations, recreations, all kinds of things that can distract us from being a witness for Christ. Even with all the churches in our community, I dare say there are many who do not attend a Bible-believing church. Most of them do not know Jesus Christ personally. Many have never heard of his love. Many of them are in situations like the woman at the well. They have a tremendous need in their heart, in their lives. Uh, their need is why God placed you and me here, to share the message of Christ with the lost. What about your life this evening? Are you burning brightly as a witness for Christ? Remember that a true messenger of God will first seek to conform to his image, and the change must take place in the messenger before the message will have any impact on the listeners. Are you willing to allow Christ's power and strength to shine brightly through your life? Does your presence create a thirst for God's love in others? And when you experience Christ's presence and power, you won't be able to keep from sharing his great love with others. It'll just come from your heart. And I'm sure that in our community tonight, there are men and women who are seeking life changes. Much like the Samaritan woman, people are actually crying out, looking for hope. And we need to go and make someone thirsty by showing them the love of Christ. Abide in Christ, abide in his, the sharing of the message of Christ. It means to remain, continue. That's what we've been talking about for many weeks now in our study of abiding in Christ. If we're truly abiding in Christ, I believe we'll see the power of God in our lives to bring the message to those that need to hear it, like this woman at the well. Let's pray. Father.